children, when that, that song reminds us of your love, the mood of that song, the calmness, the peace of a sleeping child. I thank you for that song, and thank you for these children today. Help them to learn to, to rest in Jesus and to know Jesus as friend. They can be friends of Jesus, Lord. I pray for their time today. Help them to be instructed well, to, to enjoy each other, to enjoy you as they have that experience. So Lord, may we here in the sanctuary enjoy you as we hear your word and as we respond to your spirit and as we think through what it means to be disciples of Jesus in our day, in our generation. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Faith this, this Lord's Day morning. And, uh, this is the month of June, and this month we're, we're kind of running through this quick book, uh, this letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, that small church in, in Asia Minor, a church that he did not found, as we saw last week in the first chapter. Epaphras was the one who founded the church, who was a disciple of Paul, he was the leader of the church there. Uh, we're, we're calling this series Rooted and Built Up in Him, Rooted and Built Up in Him, which comes from our second chapter, which we'll look at today. My title today is, is Walking in Jesus the Lord, Walking in Jesus the Lord. We use the term walking with Jesus very often, very loosely sometimes uh, in churches. Uh, uh, it's a good phrase. It's a, it's a helpful concept. Uh, think of G Genesis talks about walking. Uh, the Lord walking in the cool of the garden with uh, Adam and with Eve. Um, it's a good phrase, it's a good phrase. Uh, Genesis chapter 5, Enoch walked with God, and then God took him very quickly. Uh, Noah walked with God. He found favor with God. He walked with God, it says. We have visions of people walking, particularly the disciples, when Jesus was alive, as, as they, 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 they answered the call. Think of, of Matthew chapter 9, where uh, he's at a tax table, and Jesus calls him, follow me. He gets up, says he was sitting, he got up and followed Jesus. He began to walk behind Jesus and didn't stop until, for the next few years of his life, three years until Jesus died. He literally walked behind Jesus, walking with God, walking with Jesus. I want to stretch your vision a little bit, though, here. Um, <clears throat> because the, the text, what I saw in the text as I looked at it was the, 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 the call to not just walk with Jesus, but walk in Jesus. Walk in Jesus, that preposition. And I wonder, I'm talking about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be in Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I was trying to think of the difference between the, the preposition, because, I mean, I mean, prepositions, they're real small. They don't, they're, not, they're insignificant, right? I was thinking about sometimes when, you, when you, you, you might have someone, a friend that's sick, and you go to the hospital, and it's, it's late, it's after hours, and sometimes hospitals, you know, at like 8 o'clock, it's family only. And, and so you want to go, and you want to visit your friend, Someone that, that you are, you've walked with them, but you're, you're, you're not part of the family. You're not in the family. You're just close to the family. You're with them, but you're not in them. And, and so the, the guard, you know, you're trying to explain to the guard, look, this is a friend of mine. I'm, I mean, I'm close to him. They said, that's not, that's, not what, that's not the issue. The issue is that you're not in the family. Sometimes with is not good enough. <laughs> you got to be in. This is a slight, a slight distinction. I'm fascinated by the text where we see the preposition in. Let's, lead, let's read the, the passage, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23, um, ESV translation, and the, the, the key verses is the first two verses. 
begin of ESV. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of, the, and all, head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful work of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but there is no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. God's word. We mature spiritually by walking in Christ, walking in Jesus Christ, keeping him first in our lives. That's how we grow spiritually. It's staying in Christ, walking in Christ. The context in this second chapter, the first chapter we looked at last week, uh, proclaim, we proclaim him, Paul said. He, talk, he talked about his, his struggling in prayer, agonizing in prayer for this church that he'd heard about and, and was writing to. He heard some of the concerns that they had. He talked about um, his desire, his passion that they would mature in their faith. They would go to spiritual maturity. And, and here in the second chapter, he begins to, to, to address the issues that he's heard about. We'll look at those issues in just a second. He begins in, in, in verses 6 and 7 with the key, the key idea of, as you have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. The same way, walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As you've received Christ. Receive, the, the, the idea is the transmission of apostolic tradition. You have received that tradition. It is not pointing to a prayer that we often think of, we receive Christ in prayer. That's not exactly what's, what Paul has in mind here. It points back to the confessional affirmation of the truths of the scripture, of the gospel. It probably looks back even to the rite of baptism, which Paul alludes to in, in verses 11 and 12, specifically pointing to that universal initiation rite, historically, the Christian faith. You're united with, with Christ. You're in him, he's in you. And baptism is, is a picture of that. 
as you receive Christ, who is the Lord, walk in him. Don't, 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 don't sprint. Don't get too fast. You'll tire out. You, 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 you won't endure. But don't crawl. Get moving. Steady, deliberate pace. As you have received him, walk in him. Rooted, built up, established in him. Keep him first. The Christ of the first chapter, this, the supreme Christ, the preeminent Christ, the sufficient Christ, who's the head of the church and head of the universe, the creator of all things, that Christ. You've received him. Walk in him. Paul uses two interesting metaphors here. A tree stays alive because of its deep root system. A building stands strong because of a solid foundation. To become established in the faith, maintain Jesus as your root and as your foundation, Paul says. Now, now today we're going to look at uh, three things. I'm going to look at two paths, foolish paths, and one wise path. We're going to look at the, 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 the foolish path of mysticism and of legalism, and then the wise path of, of gospel-driven discipleship. That's what we're going to look at today. The first thing Paul wants us to see is the foolishness of following mysticism. Mysticism, verse 8. Um, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Philosophy, empty deceit. The, the word mysticism came, comes to my mind as I see the, the, those, those phrases. The def dictionary definition, the belief that direct knowledge of God, spiritual truth, or ultimate reality can be attained through subjective experience, intuition, or insight. And we can somehow, in our, in our own minds and in our own senses, sense what is true. Mysticism. And then, then we all gather together and compare notes, I guess. But, but the, the truth is within us, not truth from above, from God. And in verse 8, again, the words philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits, not according to Christ, according to the gospel. He's speaking of a particular type of mysticism that was beginning to emerge in the first century called Gnosticism. Maybe you've heard that word before, Gnosticism. Um, it, it's the, the Greek word gnosis, gnosis was, is the word knowledge. We see it all over the New Testament, the word no, uh, knowledge, no, gnosis. What was Gnosticism? A little bit about just some of the background of the first century. Um, Greek culture, Hellenistic culture, the, the, the worldview was simply this. Gnosticism said that spirit is good. Matter is evil. This is classical Greek dualism. Spirit is good, that which you can't see is good, and matter, that which you can't see, is all evil. The physical world is evil. God is spirit, so God is good. Mankind is material, so we're evil. Okay? You follow me so far? Now, God is so distant from evil mankind that for God to connect with mankind, there have to be, he couldn't do it directly. There have to be layers and levels. Gnosticism said there were about 30, that Jesus was the 31st, I think, the 31st mediator. He was one of 31 mediators. He couldn't be just the mediator. So Gnosticism said, no, no, that, that, that doesn't work. That, that Jesus can't be the mediator. So he's one of many mediators between perfect God and sinful mankind. And then the other implication of Gnosticism is that in terms of spirituality, what it means to be a, 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 to walk in discipleship, because matter is evil, ethical behavior is irrelevant. 
It's a nice deal, isn't it? What you do with your body isn't important. What counts is your theology, your philosophy, your mind. Think right about God and do whatever you want to do. It's a good deal, right? The, the, the Hebrew worldview is different, though. The Hebrew, in contrast, the Hebrew worldview is we are, we are holistic. We are body and spirit, and body and spirit are connected. And what I do with my body impacts uh, what, what goes on in my, my invisible soul. They're connected. There's a connectedness. That's the Hebrew mindset and the biblical mindset. But Greek Gnosticism was beginning to infiltrate the churches. Now, what does this look like today? In our world, it looks like what I would call simply the dumbing down of religion. The dumbing down of religion. It's reducing uh, religion to personal subjective feelings only and discarding creed or doctrine or dogma or, or, or teachings of the scriptures. Reduces Christian ethics to love your neighbor. Just, just love your, feel, do the right thing as you feel about your neighbor and pursue doing justice in the world, doing good things. Uh, it, it, since supposedly all religions have similar ethics, of doing good and loving people, the, the next conclusion is that all religions are equally the same and valid. See where this takes us. So if we dumb things down to mere human experience, then that works. But if we know that there's truth verifiable, that God has come to us through the incarnation of his son, who did miracles, who was, who re was resurrected from the dead, and who ascended to the, to the throne of God, if those things are true, then this mystical subjective experience falls. It falls. Where, where does, where, in what, what ways does it fall short? Here's a list of ways where I believe it falls short. This mysticism, this subjective Gnostic mysticism falls short. It fails to address the unique person of Christ and the work of Christ. It just doesn't address that. It, it fails to address the holiness of God. It, it fails to address the unique revelation of God through the scriptures. It fails to understand the human dilemma uh, uh, Specifically, that yes, we are sinners. Yes, we are unholy. Our, our intuition and our spirits are depraved. So with our, with our spirits, we can't come up with the truth. We must hear, hear from God what truth is. Mysticism has no power, you see, to overcome our human condition. It tends to minimize the depths of our sin. Rather than ask God, cast itself on God to forgive us and transform us. Mysticism disconnects our religious experience, even from external behavior, as I said. Mysticism has a disregard for the law of God. Disregards God's law, God's word. These types of theologies see God's law as too, too restrictive, too stifling, too, too objective, not subjective enough. By the way, if you're counseled by someone who, whose their ultimate counsel is, is, you know, be yourself, find yourself, self-actualize, follow your heart, and that's all you hear, you, don't, you hear nothing of objective truth, you're probably um, hearing uh, counsel from someone who was bought into that sort of, this sort of mystical approach. One of the things, again, this leads to is, is what, what some have called antinomian theology, anti against nomos, law, Greek words. A theology that says that the law of God is not important. Anti, it's, it, it moves us away from God's law to doing what we would like to do. Now, we're more and more seeing the fruit of this kind of thinking in our world as mystical, spiritual religion, 
void of objective biblical content becomes more and more acceptable. And sadly, as I said, these ideas are beginning to seep into churches. We begin to see this in churches. Uh, Kevin DeYoung is a PCA pastor in uh, Michigan. He's written a great book called The Hole in Our Holiness. The Hole in Our Holiness. There's a quote from, from Kevin. He says, the hole in our holiness is that we don't really care much about it. We don't care much about holiness, is what he says. Passionate exhortation to pursue gospel-driven holiness is barely heard in most churches. It's not that we don't talk about sin or that we encourage indecent behavior. Too many sermons are basically self-help seminars on becoming a better you. That's moralism. Any gospel which says only what you must do and never announces what Christ has done is no gospel at all. I'm talking about the failure of Christians, especially younger generations and especially those who are most disdainful of religion and legalism, to take seriously one of the aims of our redemption, one of the required evidences of eternal life, our holiness. Young is trying to bring things back into balance. God, God, you see, God didn't just save us to give us a free ticket to heaven, though that is what happens when we trust Christ. It's a free gift. It's a grace, not, not of works. He came to deliver us from both the penalty of our sin and deliver us from the power of our sin. Two things going on. And his exhortation is to walk, to be holy as I am holy. And to deny that is to become against law, to become antinomian. De Young says that antinomianism is salvation without the need for law-keeping. And, and some see uh, we're applying this early stage Gnosticism, applying that in, in such a way that the behavior of the body had nothing to do with one's spiritual health and spiritual condition. And so, so I can do what I want. I can sin with my body because it doesn't really matter. It's just physical. It's just material. It's not my spirit. And they even stated that Jesus didn't have a physical body. You notice in, in, in verse 9, Jesus was the fullness of deity in a bodily form. If you're Gnostic, you say, how could Jesus, the Son of God, have a body? That, that's confusing. God, the spirit and man, holism is a biblical worldview. Now, there's another opposite danger we're going to look at in a second, and that, that's, that's legalism. It's legalism. Some are applying these early Gnostic ideas in such a way that they promoted uh, a movement that abolished God's law mingling it with early stage Gnosticism, with Judaism, and came up with a new, others came up with a, a new kind of, of, of a super embracing of the law. They really ran for the law. This is legalism. De Young says that legalism is salvation by law-keeping. Antinomianism is salvation without law-keeping. This legalism is salvation by law-keeping. We're going to talk about the foolishness of following legalism. The foolishness ascribing to legalism. We see this in verses 16 to 23 in, in that passage. What, legalism is, rather than ignoring the law of God, legalists make law-keeping the criteria for, for obtaining favor with God for spirituality. So the legalist inevitably adds human laws and rules to God's laws. Look at the text. Look at verse 16 to 19. It's some of the things that were going on. As they, as they, as they looked at Gnostic thought and tried to, to, to merge it with Judaism, uh, he talked in verses 16 to following. He talks about the questions of food and drink. They were trying to think through the Old Testament with, with regards to festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. Um, he, he talks about um, ins insisting on asceticism, worship of angels. Again, you see the layers of mediators that they're trying to figure out. 
um, visions, you know, spiritual life through, through visions, not through what God has said, but through having visions about God and dreams and things like that. Being puffed up, he says, without reason by sensuous mind. Again, sensuality is part of this, pride. Again, a merging of Greek thought, Gnostic thought, with an, understand, try, uh, an understanding of, of, of Judaism that emerged into this thing that Paul is trying to attack and trying to say, no, that's not what spirituality is all about. Matthew uh, Slick said, in Christianity, legalism is the excessive and improper use of the law. This legalism can take different forms. The first is where a person attempts to keep the law in order to attain salvation. The second is where a person keeps the law in order to maintain salvation. And the third is when the Christian judges other Christians for not keeping certain codes of contact that he, that he thinks need to be observed. So legalism takes shape, it applied in a lot, several different ways there. One woman who's written on, on uh, what is legalism is truly a new belt, young, young, young woman who's uh, written a great article. In fact, you can find an article on, the, on the, uh, the connections table out there, just a little bit from her perspective. If you're struggling with legalism, this is how she begins. If you're struggling with legalism, don't fight it by quitting your quiet time. Isn't that an interesting beginning? <laughs> In other words, there's a temptation to presumably fight legalism by running away from good things whether Bible reading or acts of love, because we mistake them to be part of the problem. That's a mistake. And since we women are susceptible to this temptation, we are bombarded with choices between schooling options, birthing styles, what we should wear, or even what we should or shouldn't eat. It's easy to confuse principle and practice. A confusion can set in on whether we are really living for God's glory or if we're shackled to legalism. She says, equating the pursuit of godliness to legalism can cause a world of problems. It's really true. Then she quotes uh, uh, John Piper, who said, legalism is not simply the pursuit of the law. It is pursuing the law in the wrong way, with some other engine than faith. The law of God should be pursued. The Son of God, quoting from Romans 8, 4, condemns sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Piper says, we should seek to fulfill the law by the Spirit. Let's call this good pursuit the obedience of faith. It's a phrase that comes from the book of Romans. So, so Newbell is, is, is correct there. Well, what, what does this look like today? What does this legalism look like today? Well, there's several branches of legalism that I see. One is the one we're familiar with. Is religious, in the religious world, there's definitely some legalism that still uh, permeates many people's faith systems focuses on rules rather than on, on the reason for the rules, rather than on the Christ and the, and the Lord who gives us principles to follow by his grace. It may be a good rule, it may be um, um, a good rule, but, it, but sometimes it's man-made rules are added to God's rules, God's law. Legalism is, is, a, is an orientation towards law, towards rules. It's, a, it's an orientation. You've probably heard the little ditty, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with girls who do. You've probably heard that before. You know, don't play cards. Don't listen to rock music, or certain kinds of rock music, I guess. I don't know. Don't go to movies. Don't go to army to movies. Don't, go, don't, don't have a cable TV. Don't watch TV, period. Rules that sometimes Christians, maybe for good reasons, they may have certain principles of things they're thinking about, but they become a rule. They become something that says you are godly or you're not if you follow it. That's legalism. That's legalism. But in our day, in our day that's, that's 
becoming more and more post-Christian. I believe there are some secular legalisms as well. Let's just touch on a few of those, what I call secular legalisms. Don't eat fried food. Oh, you're bad if you eat fried food. Don't shop at Walmart. If you don't understand that one, talk to somebody who's into that. <laughs> don't drive a gas-guzzling vehicle. Don't drive a vehicle at all. Walk. Take a bike. In fact, have you noticed in Baltimore, there are these bike lanes? And I was thinking, the person who created the bike lanes in Baltimore um, must have been in the back of a limo, never rode a bike. Or a car. You've got the, the road, the bike lane, and the turning lane for the cars. So the bike rider is between cars. I just wouldn't have done it that way. I think I, I smell some accidents on the horizon by people riding bikes, so be careful out there. Be careful. The bike lanes are in the middle of the road. Again, I think someone in a limousine who never rides bikes or cars probably created that system. But there are secular legalisms that are rising in our secular society. Be alert to them. Legalism falls short, just as mysticism falls short. Where does it fall short? Legalism can't change hearts. It just doesn't change, it doesn't deal with, with hearts. It can change behavior, but it doesn't, doesn't change the person and the person's drives and affections and their longings. I can obey you, though I still hate you and disagree with you. You know, you've heard, maybe heard the story of little Johnny whose mommy said, don't touch that cookie. Don't leave the cookie, cookie jar alone. Don't eat the cookie. It's not, not good for you right now. You're, you don't need the sweets. Johnny was looking at the, the cookie jar and longing, and, and mom, mommy saw Johnny staring, so, mom, so mommy didn't leave. She just watched him, fixed her eyes on little Johnny. And Johnny saw that, he, that mommy was still you know, hovering over, and so he just finally gave up and says, okay, mommy, I won't eat the cookie jar with my body, the cookie with my body, but I'll eat it in my mind, and it tastes good in my mind. She, she could change his behavior, but she couldn't change his heart. He wanted that cookie. Mind, he was enjoying that cookie. Legalism, legalism can change behavior, but it doesn't go deep enough. That's the problem with legalism. Following legalism, you, you come up empty. It says in the bottom of the text, it, it, it says, verse 23, no, they have no value to, to stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Legalism can't do that. And the, the third, the, again, the, um, the third way, the, 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 the grace way is the the wisdom of following Jesus, of being in Jesus, following him. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He's Lord. Walk in him as Lord. Rooted, built up, established. Keep Jesus the center. Keep him the focus. What, what, is, what is following Christ? What's it all, all about? It, well, in, in, in the heart of Paul, and here in, in, in this passage, in verses uh, 8 and following, it's, it's union with Christ. It's being united to Christ. Union with Christ. We are in him. He is in us. Some call this the mystical union of Christ and his church. Look at verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Verse 7 says it's in him. And what happens in him? He says you, you, are you have a circumcision that not, that, that's made without hands. It's talking about that spiritual circumcision that, that, that our heart has been cut and been opened up by the Spirit of God who has come in. He says, having been, verse 12, buried with him in baptism. Again, that, that initiation rite, which pictures that cleansing and that, that new life that we have, this regeneration. 
You were dead, and now you've been made alive together. Union with Christ. He died, we died with him. He rose, we rose with him in, in newness of life. We heard the passage, the extended passage of Romans chapter 6, where, he, where Paul again gets into that with the church of Rome, that we are, we're identified with Christ in his death and his life, counting ourselves as dead to sin and alive to him. I have his spirit dwelling within me. I am in him, he is in me. I am his son, I'm his, his son or his daughter. I am forgiven and empowered by simply believing and trusting in him. This also speaks to the truth that our identity has been changed by Christ. We receive Christ, our, we, we, we come, become new creatures. We, our identity has been changed. We now bear his name. We are believers, we're Christians. I remember um, in the 10th grade, I was going to the 10th grade, the, the summer before my 10th grade year, my, my oldest sister had just finished Duval High School. She was on her way to college. My second sister, Jackie, was a year behind her. She was going to be a senior, and I was going to be the sophomore. And I remember they sat me down that summer, a few weeks before school started, to say, okay, little brother, we have a little talk here. And I thought it was going to just be encouraging me to study hard and things like that. But they, they, the, 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 the essence of what they were saying was, don't embarrass us. <laughs> we have developed somewhat of a reputation. You know, we're the longs, and, and you're... The long, the long girls, you're their little brother. Don't embarrass us. Our name means something. It means whatever it meant. I don't know what it meant, but it means something. And don't, don't, don't make, make sure you maintain the name for what it means. Don't, don't act a fool and have people say, your little brother did such and such. They didn't want to have those conversations with their friends or with teachers that they had had. And I'll never forget that conversation. You know, the gospel motivation for loving and living for Christ that's what it is, that we bear his name. We are Christians, little Christ. First Peter chapter 4 says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If someone suffers as a Christian, again, bearing that name, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We bear the name of Christ. We are united with him. We're in, in, in mystical union with him. We're in him. He is in us. And we're responsible to seek, to live in such a way that we protect the integrity of the family name. And the family name is that we are children of God. What does this walking with Jesus look like today? Well, it's very simple. It's living a life of brokenness, confessing, repenting before him, dying to self, it's a life of commitment, of, of, of trust, of walking by faith in him and, and hearing his word and responding to it. It's, it's a life that, that realizes that you are being transformed by his spirit, by his word. Day by day, it said in 2 Corinthians, you're being transformed from one glory to the next. Experiencing his transforming power in your life. You know, Colossians 3, next week you'll hear this, that Christ is our life. Christ, who is our life, is the phrase Paul used. It means that uh, living a life in authentic, loving community, authentic, loving Christian community, putting others before you. You know, one of the problems with legalists is they don't understand how to love others. Romans 14 talks about prefer, uh, uh, preferring others and when there's stumbling blocks and there's difference of opinion about perspectives. You walk with Jesus, you know, you, you, you understand how to do that, how to process that. Is walking in the light 
in the light. 1 John 1, uh, if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, unlike the, the previous two paths, this way of living, living doesn't fall short. It doesn't fall short. It endures. Why? Why does it endure? Look at verse 17. It says, these are shadow. These, these, he's talking about these rule-based religious uh, elements are a shadow of things to come. They aren't the real thing. The, the substance belongs to Christ. Even the, the things in the Old Testament that were good things, the food laws and diet laws and all those things, the, 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 they, they, were, they were pointing to that which was the real thing, the permanent thing, which was Jesus. Who's the substance. Christ is our life. Christ is eternal. And in him we have eternal life. Let's look at, I want to look at very, very quickly at three perspectives on one issue as, as an example of, of, of how we process these things. And the issue is, is the use of alcohol, which is a very practical um, issue. Well, the Gnostic or the mystic says that what, what, what does it matter whether or how much I drink? What does it matter? It's just physical. It's more important to just love people and enjoy life. Spend time fighting for justice and, and serving the needy and loving people. Don't worry about issues like that. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care. The legalists will look at a passage like Galatians 5, where Paul lists the, the works of the flesh, and among it is drunkenness. But look at a passage like Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And the legalists will say, don't touch alcohol. Right? Don't touch alcohol. Don't drink alcohol. See, the legalists, they're concerned about forsaking the fruit of the vine rather than, than experiencing and pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. That's the problem. And so they say, don't drink alcohol of any kind and don't hang around people who drink alcohol of any kind. It'll destroy your testimony. You'll hear. Destroy your testimony. Yeah, people might call you a friend of sinners or a wine-bibber. Who would want to be called that? Hmm. I know someone who was called that. His name is Jesus. A grace-filled disciple follows the third way, the way of grace. The gospel way is that it, it, it realizes that alcohol is actually neutral. It's neutral. It can be used for good or for evil. Two passages. I'm going to look, just look up Proverbs 31, verses 4 to 7. It talks about uh, give, give strong drink to one those who are perishing. And then Proverbs 23, which, which, which talks about the fact that, that the dangers of alcohol. Proverbs, the same book. One says there's uses for alcohol. The other says be careful about alcohol. It's, it's horrible. Well, how do we deal with that? How do we, how do we, how do we grace walk that line? We realize that alcohol is actually neutral. It's neutral. Created by God. It has good usages and evil usages. As you see verses like that, there are warnings and dangers and exhortations about its proper place. So the mature disciple who's seeking to follow the Lord in grace, you don't create legalistic rules for yourself and for others. You don't do that. But appreciating the, the fullness of Scripture, the blessings and the dangers of something like alcohol, you walk wisely and lovingly with that biblical kind of understanding. So have, have a couple quick questions. Have you received Jesus? Have you received, have you had that initiation, that, that initial response to, to the gospel? Have you received the apostolic message 
that God came to the world through his son and died on a cross for our sins and rose again and lives to dispense blessing and salvation on all who will call on his name. Is Jesus the one you proclaim as Savior? Do you understand he's Lord? And there's obligations to one who you call as Lord. As you receive Jesus as Lord, walk in him. The early confession of the church is Jesus is Lord. Are you rooted and grounded in this Jesus who is Lord? What evidence is there in your life that you're rooted and grounded in this Jesus who is Lord? Is Christ in you? Are you in Christ? Or are you a Gnostic, mystical, or religious legalist kind of person? Friday, some of us were attended um, the homegoing service for Addie Silver. Some of you don't know her. Addie was a member of our church for a while. Um, <clears throat> suffered incredibly almost 20 years, I believe, um, with, uh, I'll read this because I'll never remember what it is. Two, two elements. Um, primary biliary cirrhosis. A very, this is from, her, from her, her words from a book that she um, authored. A, a very rare autoimmune liver disease that causes my own immune system to attack medium-sized bile ducts. Over time, this leads to the scarring of liver tissues. And then Dermatomyositis, another very rare autoimmune disease which attacks the skin and muscles, where chronic inflammation causes itchiness, discoloration, and ulcers of the skin, along with loss of muscle mass and strength. She knew Addie, as I knew her during those years, she was always in pain. She lived with perpetual pain. And her service the other day was, was a blessing to sit there and hear the testimonies of, of her life. And one of the things that, that I went away with is something that I didn't know about Addie. But I knew a lot about her. Um, she was a dancer. She was a dancer. I've never, she's never, she was always in too much pain to dance. But she was a dancer. She, I mean, and here she was, a, a woman who, a, a medical degree, <laughs> a theology degree, not using either one of them, just bedridden much of her, much of her uh, last few years. Um, but she was a dancer, and she used her body in that way. And, uh, and I heard the test, one of the, the, the ones who gave the remarks, the testimony about her life, said that one of the things that Addie men mentioned to her was that um, she looks forward to break dancing with her in heaven. Break dancing with her in heaven. Now, that's not the image I have of a person who's religious. A person who, who, who but this is, this is the person who knows Christ. And who understands that in heaven, there's gonna be some break dancing. There's gonna be lots of joyous and exciting experiences in heaven. Because that's who our God is. That's who our God is. He's one who, who, who invites us to experience the joy of salvation. And, and, and that there's no, oh, we don't dance in the kingdom. No, there's none of that. No, we're gonna dance. We're gonna do great dancing in the kingdom. And Addie is there, and she will be break dancing. Think of that picture. Those of you who know her. She can do that because she understands grace. She's a legalist, and she's not a mysticist. She understands the grace of Jesus Christ, that in him, she is in him, he's in her, and she has the freedom. And now, more than ever, she's experiencing that freedom. Oh, that we would do that as well. Believe in the one that she believed in. Let's pray. Oh, it's so easy to get confused about how to walk with you. There are many voices telling us uh, 
to go this way, straight to the left, or go this way, straight to the, to the right, that path, on that path, off the path. Help us to, to follow your word. Help us to know that it is in Jesus Christ that we are safe. It's in Jesus Christ that we have eternal hope, eternal life. He's in us. We're in him through faith. But I would pray for anyone here today, Lord, who, who's never made that commitment to you, and if it's becoming clear, they would make that step of faith and begin that walk to receive the gospel and all that's, that's, that's granted through faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Remind you, if you want to talk to somebody or pray, be prayed for, we have the intercessor's room outside after the benediction. We're going to stand and sing, Be Thou My Vision, the first verse together. To God's glory. May the love of God, our Heavenly Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the presence and the power of the Spirit of God be with you now, forevermore. Amen.